Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and welcome to the show today. We are very, very excited to have two wonderful guests with us. Uh, first, we have Leslie Dalianardis, who is the STEM Network Director in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Our other guest is Dr. John Reyes, who is our Executive Director of Operational Vitality at NCEA. Most recently, John was an assistant superintendent in the Diocese of Charleston. And as a disclaimer for everyone listening to the podcast, Leslie, John, and I all worked together in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles uh, for some time. And uh, we all have a, a great, great past relationship and a great ongoing relationship regarding Catholic schools and, uh, and the impact it can have on students um, and the world. So great to have both Leslie and John with me, and I'm going to start us off to talk a little bit about Los Angeles and Leslie and her role as the director for the STEM Network. Leslie, give a little bit of background around how that started and uh, and how things are going in Los Angeles. Hi, thank you for having me. I have been working for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles since, I don't know, the age of 21. I was a teacher for about 10 years, math and science, and then a principal for five. As a principal, I worked for a school that um, needed a kind of a revamp for their and a rebuild so that we could really kind of see where it was going. And in that role, I really focused on STEM learning. About two years ago, I took on the role as a STEM director for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And we were tasked to really create a network of schools focused on STEM learning, very similar to the dual language network that the Archdiocese of Los Angeles has successfully implemented. I was given a year to research and really create a program model focused on a successful and defining what STEM learning is, which is a whole different conversation. We implemented the STEM network just this last school year. So we selected three schools to be part of cohort one, and we just announced cohort two as well. So we selected two additional schools to join us. And what's really awesome is that these schools are going to transform the entire school into what I call a STEM mindset and STEM culture. Um, it's a really innovative way to approach learning that the entire school takes on from kinder all the way to eighth grade. It's been really amazing to see these schools during the pandemic. It's a great innovative way to see how students are embracing STEM learning and teachers are embracing STEM learning, but we had no idea how the pandemic would bring about STEM um, and innovation through remote learning as well. Leslie, I want to follow up a little bit with you on the idea of the STEM mindset. Talk about that mindset. Why is that important? Because I think when people think STEM, they just think about how do we get technology in the classroom? How do we right. start to do project-based learning? How do we do that? So the best way I describe it, and I've talked to, I think you both, John and Kevin, about this, is that for me, STEM is not about the what, it's about the how. It's about the how we approach learning. It's not about the what we are teaching. It's not about just the science tech, engineering, and math. It's about the how. So it's really an interdisciplinary approach and mindset to learning. It's what we want to do is remove the traditional barriers that separate the disciplines and integrate them into kind of a real world relevant learning experience for students. It helps us to make critical decisions about the world, about healthcare, finances, science, uh, ethical situations, and it illuminates a lot of complex issues that governs our present world. And we're experiencing that today in the pandemic. But it also kind of reveals the beauty and the power of our world. Teachers need to approach it in a more kind of project-based, um, or we hope that they approach it in a more project-based kind of interdisciplinary approach. That's kind of how we see it. It's about the how you learn, not about the what you're learning. I think that's the best way to describe our mindset. That's great. Thanks. 
John, talk a little bit about your time in Los Angeles, uh, Director of Educational Technology. So you had a lot of involvement with our schools on those areas and, and, and a little bit about your experience with STEM uh, when you were in LA. Yeah, so I was blessed to spend the first 10 years of, of my career as a Catholic educator in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, uh, working as a teacher, working as a technology coordinator, and then the last five of those years, working as director of ed tech for our Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And I think a big driving force for the initiatives, for the work, and for the outcomes and results of the use of technology in our schools was centered around the why, or the to what end. Are we going to use technology to support student learning, to support student growth? growth. And our, our principals did a lot of discussion, a lot of reflection around um, a lot of the core ideas in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And, and Jim Collins has a great piece in the first or second chapter, really early on in the book, where he says technology uh, in and of itself does not cause the move from good to great, but it can accelerate it, right? So it's this idea of seeing technology as the accelerator. And, and I think the connection between ed tech in a very general sense and, and STEM in Catholic schools is, is that STEM helps take the technology from the what and the how to driving it to the ultimate why. And we'll talk about this, I think, a little bit later on in, in our conversation too. Uh, but I think the intersection of just a general use of ed tech uh, in schools to this focus on on rich interdisciplinary project-based inquiry-based learning helps us drive towards the natural end of Catholic education and, and that Catholic education is meant to transform society. And so our use of technology are the ways in which we conceptualize and put into practice the tenets of STEM and interdisciplinary education has to be able to drive us to transformation of society. And so we learned a lot, I think, in the in, in the work that we did in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles with EdTech by having that focus and bringing all those disparate initiatives from rolling out devices to doing PD to, uh, to increasing the quality of infrastructure in schools to really saying, at the end of the day, all of these initiatives are only as good as the amount of, you know, school level transformation and, and and, and, and society and community level transformation that it leads to. Leslie, I want to come back to you and then uh, we'll transition into stream at NCA with John. But you mentioned you had a, a great comment about how STEM can kind of open up the beauty and power of our world, I think is the quote I heard you talk about. And what I'd love to hear you share some thoughts on is, is what, um, what are those for lack of a better word, qualitative aspects to STEM? I think people are very clear on the quantitative and, uh, and, uh, the data and the facts and the things that we want to do in terms of those subjects. But what are the qualitative aspects that a Catholic school can bring to this mindset methodology that really can add value to students so they can understand that beauty and power of our world? In my first year as the director of STEM, I really got a year to kind of just figure out two things. I did, I had a research year, but I really kind of bucketed into two areas. <clears throat> a, do we need STEM? And B, what is STEM? And I think part of that allowed me to understand, well, what are the benefits of, of a STEM education? I, I realized, you know what, our students don't need STEM. STEM needs our students and STEM needs people of character. And what better people of character than Catholic STEM students? You know, technology creates a lot of beautiful things, but it also creates a lot of questions of ethics and morality. So we want people of character at the table and our Catholic STEM students need to be the best equipped to be at that table. But some of the benefits and features that are more qualitative is a, it promotes equity in education and in the workforce. There are three largely underrepresented groups in STEM, in STEM career and STEM fields, and that's women, Latinos, and African-American. And that's regardless of their socioeconomic background. 
which was fascinating to learn. It doesn't mean that only poor Latinos and poor African-Americans and poor women are not represented in STEM. Any, whether wealthy, poor, or middle class are not represented, which was kind of scary to read about. It equips students with confidence and resilience to focus on solutions rather than problems or uncertainty. And we know that in our world, it's full of problems. So rather than kind of focus on the problems and uncertainty, it's promoting them to be solution-oriented, which is what we need. It, it encourages community and parent involvement within a school and in a community, which is what we call our STEM learning ecosystem. And we really want to make sure that that mindset of a family and community atmosphere goes above and beyond their, their small school. Um, I can keep going, but I mean, it employs and enhances the possibility of exponentially growing our global economy, but it creates a kind of a deeper learning that students internalize and realize, you know what, they can make a difference in the world above and beyond. When they're doing these project-based learning lessons or, or experiences, they're not isolating the, the learning into a classroom or, or a, a textbook. They're realizing that it, it actually applies to the world and the community that they're living in. I love that concept that STEM fields and STEM careers need our students, right? That's a beautiful way to think about it because of the ethical and moral and, and, and bigger questions that, that come with scientific advancement often. So I think that's a great framework to think about. You also talked about the unrepresented groups, and I think that's a great thing to expand upon a little bit now. We're obviously in the midst of um, protests around systemic racism and, and, and the impact that that's had on our world, and our Catholic schools, of course, are not immune to that. John, you had a, a great role this week in, in helping to put a panel together for NCEA to have some initial conversations about um, about uh, race in Catholic schools and how we discuss this and how we start to lead to action with this. I'd love you to talk a little bit about that big picture, but then let's dig into STEM. What can we do to really start to address some of the inequities with regard to STEM fields and careers? We do, um, in Los Angeles especially, as a, as a good example, I know we've got, I think, three quarters of our students are, are from minority backgrounds. We have students in, in some of our locations in the country. We don't across the board, of course. How do we educate them to make sure that we're filling these fields in, in the coming years? And it's kind of a big question, but uh, why don't you take that and see kind of how you've uh, seen your work over the last week and, uh, and then tying it into a little bit to STEM. There was a, a great part of the panel discussion this past week where Dr. Brandy Odom Lucas was talking about, you know, the four things that she looks at to really get a sense for diversity, equity, inclusion in a school. And, and one of the piece was achievement, right? And, and, and I feel like the way in which we start to, to break down and close those opportunity and access gaps for underrepresented groups in STEM is what we measure and what we expect. And, and I think it's very easy for us to have different expectations or have misplaced expectations when we're trying to monitor the extent of of the quality of, of STEM in our schools or the quality of achievement in schools. And I think a critical first step has to be, are we measuring the effectiveness and the impact of STEM because of what we've bought or what clubs we've set up? Or are we starting to look at more meaningful things like the quality and depth of knowledge and, and, and cognition that's going on in classrooms and the equity of access to particular curricular opportunities and the way that we're structuring pieces? Are we structuring and setting up our instructional schedules where you know we do we do pullouts for Title One or intervention or whatever while we're while we're doing rich sort of STEM stream learning. Like I think those pieces and I think critically assessing who is getting access to what and and how and and 
in what ways we're, we're measuring the impact of, of STEM, I think is a huge uh, opportunity for us to begin to identify and then work to close those opportunity and access gaps. Leslie, I think about it in terms of the social justice mission of the church um, and and obviously the impact of our faith and in guiding us for how we have to view the world's problems. For example, you know, clean water uh, in Africa or, or, or third world countries or um, those types of issues uh, are problems to be solved. And uh, often they're STEM subjects. And so how does that tie to, to what we're you're trying to do with STEM, the STEM network and, and, um, and STEM schools, thinking about it in terms of, well, we have this social justice mission to go out and serve and to go out and make the world a better place um, because of our faith. And then we have to do that, though, with our with with really a solid understanding of those STEM subjects. Right. I also kind of want to touch something, John, so that's really important. When I designed the program model for the STEM network schools and defining, well, what makes a school STEM? And that's part of my presentation that um, I always make sure to hit on when I when I present, and I'll do that at NCA Stream Conference. Having an after-school club or a, a one class on coding or robotics that only a subset of students have access to d- does not really define a school as STEM, because again, we're, we're not having the the equity issue comes up again. Are all students having equal access to that subject or to, to to that STEM field? So part of the STEM network schools. What defines them as STEM schools is that the t- the entire class or the entire school is retransformed to access STEM. So that what that means is each grade band has a defined STEM teacher. So K to two is now kind of departmentalized. So we have a, an identified strong STEM teacher, an identified strong humanities teacher, an identified strong ELA teacher, and what that allows for is rigorous STEM learning to take place from K to two as well as three to five and six to eight. So rather than save that great math and science teacher and STEM teacher just for junior high, we have a great STEM teacher in one in K to two, one in three to five, one for six to eight, that immediately identifies them as a STEM school. We do coding in the school day from K to two, three to five and six to eight. What's another important piece is that everything that is brought into the school day needs to be assessed as John kind of mentioned. So. We don't just have a fun coding class every week. We actually assess that coding class to make sure that there is rigorous and depth of learning taking place. But the premise of all of our STEM learning has a connection to the Catholic social teachings. We are a Catholic STEM school. We want to make sure the students are understanding the project-based learning, understanding the connection between the STEM fields, but realize that they need to connect it to their Catholic identity and be able to make sure that they can go out into their immediate community and make that impact so that it's an actual um, active learning taking place. But it's really important to make sure that in order to start addressing that equity gap, we talk about an achievement gap, but we never really talk about the opportunity gap that exists in our schools. And we want to make sure the opportunity gap closes by having kids in kinder start learning about engineering and technology and everything that they'd never heard of, especially in some of our poorer schools that exist all over. And just to sort of link the two pieces together between sort of the the more contemporary issue right now of combating systemic racism and and I think how STEM helps close uh, opportunity gaps and increases equity is asking that critical question of what's at stake, right? So, so with STEM, for example, if we continue the status quo of, of I think not providing these op- opportunities for rich interdisciplinary learning that's rooted in a societal context, 
and, and has strong connections to Catholic social teaching. If we sort of let the status quo persist, what will be the impact on our community and our society as a result? I think sometimes we, we engage in this work of really trying to create academic excellence, but then we lose the, yeah, well, academic excellence to what end? And the overlap here, I think, between grounding STEM in a Catholic school with its societal and its transformative opportunity with the systemic racism piece is that we always have to ask that question is what is at stake if we keep the status quo in place and i think when we answer that when we take that question to its natural end we realize that we cannot compartmentalize things like stem things like combating systemic racism to here's the STEM coordinator and that's sort of their job and I'm gonna let them do their thing while I do my thing. Or if you have a diversity, equity and inclusion coordinator to say, hey, they're gonna set up their affinity groups and do all those different things like that. It has to be on all of us because of the depth of what's at stake by what we choose to do or not do in these areas. Uh, so I think what Leslie says in terms of like the, the need for everybody in a school, everybody in the system to row together uh, to realize the full potential of these things. It just resonates so powerfully. I think that leads to a great transition into um, stream. And uh, uh, we have a stream workshop coming up. Uh, NCA is putting on uh, June 23rd and 24th. Uh, Leslie will be uh, participating in that as will John. So um, excited to have them here to talk a little bit about that. But let's talk about stream, John, a little bit here in terms of um, it's a STEM network in Los Angeles. We've obviously added R and A, which is religion and arts. Um, and I know for NCA, there's a big connection between stream and Laudato Si, uh, Pope Francis's encyclical on the environment, which might not seem um, like a natural connection, at least initially. So talk a little bit about how that and, and I think also what you were just talking about in terms of integrating uh, throughout and making it everyone's responsibility, I think, ties to this as well. Yeah, I, I think the uh, grounding, the the uh, integration of STEM and, and STREAM into Catholic schools, I think having Laudato Si as the anchor and the animating force for that is so critical. And it's a great encyclical. If you haven't read it, it's a doozy. It's going to require, I, I think, some really uh, sustained focus and processing around it. But there's so many great themes that can be pulled out of it. And I think one of the pieces that I think then links to the question that I posed about uh, what's at stake is Pope Francis uh, tends to repeat and run through Laudato Si this idea of how indifference and selfishness worsen environmental problems, right? And, and so the idea that if we choose to opt out of the discussions in terms of how our curriculum and the skills and concepts and competencies and dispositions we build in our learners, if we sort of duck out of that question and say, well, you know, we're going to sort of form these skills just for the sake of forming the skills without saying what's the actual environmental, societal, and, and, and global context, uh, then the, the problems that we see will deepen. Like our, our inaction has a direct consequence there. And so grounding stream in, in Laudato Si and using that as, as sort of an animating force there helps us ensure that we understand the, the, the gravity and the responsibility of what we choose to implement in our curriculum, in our instruction, in our assessment. And I want to go to Leslie now and talk, because uh, Leslie's graciously helped uh, us with a presentation at the Stream Workshop. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, Leslie, and um, and what you're planning for uh, for the workshop. I just plan to kind of lay the foundations and go through a lot of my research. So what are the statistics saying about a need for STEM, especially in Catholic education? 
and then talk about, well, we talk about STEM so much, but what, what is STEM learning and what does it look like and what should it look like in, in schools? Then I'll, I'll transition into, well, this is why the STEM network schools were kind of designed like this. It's not the perfect fit for everybody, but it works for the LA schools. Hopefully, of course, we're just implementing in the first couple of years. And then we'll have a discussion about ways to define STEM and um, ways to kind of create a STEM learning ecosystem and, and a graduate profile. So it's really a foundational piece about STEM that hopefully allows whoever's coming to really start questioning that, like, okay, that makes sense and, and start to raise questions about learning in general and equity in classrooms across, across the nation, really. It's always one of my favorite workshops to give because it can be very interactive and, and kind of force people to think outside the box or like people often say, transform the box. John, I want to come back to you real quick. You had a great line about Laudato Si and how Pope Francis really talks about indifference being sometimes um, the biggest issue. Um, uh, and I, I think about this in terms of our systemic racism conversations. And oftentimes it's, it's, uh, it's that indifference. It's not even the outright hostility or outright negativity. It's more people not wanting to get involved. And so how does that, how does that work with uh, the environment? How does that work with stream? How do you see that uh, impacting our world with regard to that, that indifference that we have to uh, combat really on a daily basis? I, I think it's worth giving um, people in our society and the people in our schools and, and, and who the people in our schools will work to impact sort of the benefit of the doubt in terms of we have a responsibility to build knowledge around the consequence of indifference. And I think systemic racism, as well as the environmental and the Catholic social teaching thrust of stream, I think that's where they sort of work hand in hand here, right? And so I, we're, we're grateful for what Leslie is doing in that introductory session, because I think it's laying out the consequence of indifference, like, like for her to be able to say like very, in a very clear headed way, like this is, this is the current state of pieces. These are, this is the society and the community that our graduates will enter. And we have an opportunity for transformation, but Right now, if we choose to maintain the status quo, this is this is the impact here. And so I think the charge then has to be to combat indifference. And our panelists this past week talked about it so powerfully. And I think there's a parallel here when we talk about, about STREAM is, is that education the consequence of indifference about linking what we do what we choose to do or what we choose not to do, what happens, right? So like one of the things that, that is mentioned in Laudato Si is that, you know, the poor are disproportionately affected by climate change. And so our indifference to act and in, in, in work as church and as society and as schools that are charged with transforming community societies, our indifference means that we deepen that disproportionate impact to the poor. And so I think it's just an awareness building that, that's crucial to that. And I think the awareness building is is what will be the necessary precursor to action. That's a beautiful way to frame it, John. Thank you. Uh, John, talk a little bit more about the um, other aspects of the workshop. Uh, Leslie's kicking us off, you say, and uh, just give everyone a, a little preview. Yeah, so we are really excited. We've got a lineup of great presenters, great thought leaders. And, and our hope is that in the sessions and the professional learning that we provide, that there's a balance between you know the the very concrete, like the, you know, how do I structure um, uh, stream instruction in a classroom and be responsive to tier one, tier two, and tier three instructional supports? Um, how do we use assessment and evaluation data, both formative and summative evaluation, to be able to create responses uh, to student learning and do so in an interdisciplinary way that is that is rich in pedagogy and rich in terms of rigor and depth of knowledge? 
And so we're going to have those pieces there, but it's always important, I think, not just at the leadership level, but at the at the classroom level to say, okay, well, if I'm going to implement this shift in practice, right, if I'm going to implement mindset norms, and we are going to make sure that we plan our lessons in a particular way, it's important for us to know, well, what's the end game, right? We're not implementing these pedagogical shifts just to do that. And, and Leslie's session is so important, and we're excited that she's batting lead off in this way, so we can draw all of those really concrete, actionable, and powerful practices to what's the end game of stream? Like, what is it What is it that's at stake when we are able to powerfully implement these practices? I want to come back to Leslie with any final thoughts that she might have as we uh, come to the end of our, our show. But Leslie, one thing I was thinking about too is uh, we were talking before we started recording the podcast about, uh, about micro schools, about small schools, uh, small Catholic schools. And you were talking a little bit about how that can work in a STEM stream kind of environment. And so I don't know if you have any thoughts you'd like to share, because obviously that's been work that we've been um, focused on at NCEA the past year to really think about uh, building a framework for micro schools that could support um, you know, sports schools that have lower enrollment and, and see if we could make them sustainable uh, with that core mission of our, our Catholic schools at the center. So um, uh, if you want to talk about that just a little bit, any final thoughts you might have um, on STEM uh, in LA or the STREAM uh, workshop? Yeah, so I'll start with the STREAM workshop. I'm excited to have one of our STEM lead teachers that started cohort one, that started with the first grade band implementation, also presenting. You know, it's always great to hear me kind of talking about it. Um, I'm the director in theory, everything, but he's actually implementing it in his grade band at one of our successful first starter schools. So um, Jim Ryan would be a great kind of presenter to, at the, one of the workshops to hear him actually in action doing the STEM that we talk about sounding so great. Um, with micro schools, yes, I totally think it's a great fit for STEM. We are uh, hopefully going to implement it in one of our STEM schools actually in the coming year. Um, you know, I always think of our grade bands that we do at our STEM schools, the K to two, the three to five, the six to eight, as mini micro schools. We create these kind of micro school environment. And I, I'm a huge believer. My background's kind of been in multi-age is a little bit longer than it's really been in STEM. And um, the beauty and the success of multi-age learning and micro school learning is really kind of the future of learning along with STEM. So they're not mutually exclusive of each other. I really believe that small schools that are gonna to transition to micro-schooling or multi-aging would be most successful in STEM learning environment because it creates kind of that community feel and teaching environment that needs to happen with small school. I always say that a classroom of 10 is really tutoring, is not really you know teaching, that's kind of my opinion. So in a micro-school environment where students are able to learn with multiple learning, with multiple ages, really creates more of a real-world experience and that's what we want, a rigorous environment. So micro school and STEM are kind of a beautiful pairing in my world. Well, we might have you back on then in a few months, Leslie, to talk about that, because that's something we're very focused on here in, in Los Angeles. Dr. Reyes, any final thoughts for us as we uh, as we wrap up our, uh, our podcast today? Yeah, and I think, first off, if you haven't registered for the stream workshop, please do so. We think it's going to be a fantastic learning opportunity. We think it's going to be a great way to, to springboard, I think, shifts in practice that will really help transform teaching and transform learning. And, and I think what we're excited about, too, in terms of who we've been able to bring to the table to to lead these workshops it, is that they are uh, proof points that what stream is about is possible no matter what kind of school you are what size you are what resources you have and, and in particular who you serve and, and so I, I think we 
we ask that you know as you go through the workshops as you sort of check things out then you you plan for practice I, I think the idea is how do i embrace the context of my school to maximize the mindset and and the cultural shifts that stream demands uh so really think about it from an asset based piece rather than a deficit based piece wonderful and just a reminder that is uh, june 23rd and 24th it's a tuesday and wednesday it'll be a virtual conference you can find information on the nca website nca.org uh, so we do hope you uh, register and attend. We think it'll be a great value to you. I want to thank John and Leslie for uh, spending time with me. It's a great it's great to be able to do this podcast and just invite friends and colleagues on to talk to them about the work they're doing. They both are obviously experts, uh, and you can pick that up, of course, uh, in hearing them share. So grateful to both of them for their, uh, their time today and for their work. And uh, we really look forward to the stream workshop at the end of the month. That is the NCA podcast for this week. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.